0: Well, good morning. good morning. We're glad you're here this morning. We're going to do something a little different. I want to wake you up a little bit this morning. So we're talking about Thanksgiving a uh, while well ago. They mentioned that. You know it's Thursday. How many of you, real quickly, just, just so we know who needs to be prayed for, are already planning to overeat on Thursday? Anybody? All right, great. All right. Gluttony is a sin, by the way. Just going to throw it out there. But all right, so most, I even hear people go, you know, I'm like I'm like, not eating very much this week, so Thursday. And then, then you just are miserable, all right? And then then you can't Black Friday shop. It was a whole other sermon, all right? So here's what we're going to do. Turn around with somebody beside you. Cindy's going to give us a little music, and I want you just to talk to a neighbor about something you're thankful for. Ready? Go. Do it right now. All right, all right, all right. I don't want to get you too distracted. All right, so all right, we're going to take a couple of answers from each section, so you're kind of on the clock here, all right? So, I'll start over here. Tell me something somebody said they were thankful for. Somebody, just family, thankful for family, all right? Somebody over here, yeah? Your cat. Awesome, awesome, all right, good. Somebody else over here thankful for anything? No? Okay, great. So we go over here, anybody thankful? What are you thankful for? What? Life group, yeah, our small groups. Man, I'm telling you, that is so important to be involved in. Anybody right here thankful? Health, Health. what did somebody else say? Family. Family, okay, right over here. Just to be here, Just to be here. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that's really, okay, all right. So you guys, you guys think, Hunter, you're thankful? I'm thankful I got to see you today, Hunter, all right. So, so here, here's the thing about it. One thing that I'm really thankful for is the journey we've been on. Because I think sometimes we come to Scripture, we forget that all the Old Testament is pointing me a direction. It's pointing me to the birth and the arrival of the Savior of the world. And I am thankful that there is a thread throughout, even the Old Testament, of God's love and his plan to rescue all of humanity. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a moment, we're gonna pray before we jump into this. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I just want you to get before your Heavenly Father and thank him for some things he's doing in your life. Even if you feel like I don't know how to pray, just, just say what's on your heart and thank you for what he's doing in your heart. And then I'll pray for us. Father, I do pray that we can come today with a heart of gratitude and thankfulness. I pray today as we come into this place, that we would stray away from humdrum and mediocre and mundane, but God, that we would come into this place realizing that we are meeting with the creator of the universe. We are meeting with the one who spoke six times and it just came to be. I pray that as we come into this place, we come with a heart that recognizes that we are meeting with you. We're not just showing up today, but we are meeting. We are in your presence. We are in your throne room and you want to meet with us and to challenge us today. I I pray that we experience that today. And I pray that on our hearts is gratitude. And God, I thank you as we've gone through these last several weeks of this series, Red Thread, what we've seen is a continual thread of your love and your plan to rescue and to redeem humanity. And God, I thank you for that. Because God, if we all were honest today, the Bible tells us, your word tells us over and over again, we are wretched, we are pitiful, and we are lost. But you've come that we might have life and have it abundantly. So Lord, I love you and I thank you for that today. May you be with us as we get into your word. And it's in your precious son's name we pray and everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, so when I was a kid, between our house and my grandma's house, there's a field. At the very front of the field, close to the highway, closer to my grandma's house, was an apple tree. Anybody ever grow up, you know, get apples off an apple tree? I mean, it wasn't an orchard. It was a tree, a singular tree. I mean, one apple tree in this field and the rest of it was just filled. And I remember as a kid, we'd enjoy going up there and climbing the tree. And, and sometimes we'd go up there and as the apples were being produced, we would we'd grab an apple and then, you know, we're told you shouldn't eat it because, you know, if you the worms are in it and all that kind of stuff. But as a kid, you just did. You're on a farm. You just do what you want to do. So you go grab an apple and you eat it. And, and the thing about that tree was this. If you came by our house, and you drove by that tree, in the dead of winter, I could tell you it was an apple tree. But at the end of the day, all you would see is that it's just a tree. There's no leaves on it. There's nothing on this thing. But if you came back when it started to bloom and started to produce fruit, what you would eventually find out is that apple tree really did produce apples, right? In fact, the evidence that that tree is an apple tree is the fact that it produces what? Apples, not oranges but apples, right? Now, here's the thing. The same thing is true in our faith. In Matthew chapter 7, don't turn there, but in Matthew chapter 7, is probably one of the most powerful, painful, challenging, and convicting passages in all the Bible, because Jesus does a whole lot in Matthew chapter 7. He says stuff like this. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce, guess what? Bad fruit. Good trees don't produce bad fruit and bad trees don't produce good fruit and people will know you by your fruit. That's what Jesus said. In other words, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, people will know us by our fruit. So if our life, there's no evidence that Christ is in us and our life produces no fruit, what Jesus would conclude at the end of Matthew 7 is this, then you've obviously never been rescued. If your life does not produce fruit of salvation, then there's maybe, there's no salvation there. In fact, in Matthew 7, Jesus has this guy, he says, some of you are gonna come up to me, and say, Lord, Lord, did I do all this awesome stuff in your name, and Jesus is gonna say, depart from me, for I never knew you. I'm telling you, it is one of those passages, when you read it, you're just kind of in the pit of your gut, you're like, "Ah." Why, because Jesus is telling us something that we need to know today, and it's this. That if we claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and we claim to belong to him, and we claim that we have been rescued, there should be evidence and fruit in our life that we've been rescued. Amen? Amen? There should be fruit and evidence. Now... Up to this point in the series, here's what we've done. We've talked about this thread of God's rescue. We've seen pictures of Abraham and Isaac about to slaughter his son, and yet a substitute ram was there, and how that's a beautiful picture of what God did with his son Jesus sending him and He as our substitute. We've talked about that. We've even talked about our role in rescue that ultimately we have one role in God's rescue for humanity in us, and that is repentance, right? We saw that with David. And last week we talked about how rescue is simple. The prophet Elisha told this guy with leprosy, Naaman, he said, just go dip in the Jordan seven times. And, and Naaman thought that was crazy and too easy and it and made no sense. And, and you know, you think about it, I mean, what does it take for us to have eternal life? Well, it's simple. We are saved by grace through what? faith. Put our faith in Jesus. Well, Doug, it's just not that simple. I, I, I'm with you. I think it's probably not, but at the end of the day, that's not what God says. God says it is that simple, that if we believe in him, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Bible says it, not Doug. The Bible says it. It's simple. So we've seen all these different facets, even the simplicity of salvation and rescue. So here's what I want to do this morning, something a little bit different. Today, I want us to look at what are some evidences what are some fruit that we truly have been rescued? What are some fruit and what are some evidences that we should see in our lives that, is a, that it bears witness that we have been saved, that we have been rescued, and that we have been redeemed? What are those evidences? Now, here's why today is so important for us. Because everybody in this room, if you're a believer, there's probably been a moment in your life where you wrestled with doubt, you know, I mean, I've been like Paul, you know, sometimes Paul's like, why do I do the very things that I hate? And there's been times in my life where I would, I would do something or, you know, there'd be sin in my life. And I'm like, okay, if, if I was really a believer, would, would, this, would this be there? And, and all the time I think as believers, we're looking for evidences in our own lives that, yes, my life is different because Christ is in me. So today we're going to look at a guy by the name of Daniel in the Old Testament. And we already know the story of Daniel. We're gonna look at two passages in chapter one and chapter six, so go ahead and turn your Bibles there. And we already know that there's a story in Daniel six where Daniel's in the lion's den and God rescues him. Yes, 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 you already know that story. But here's what I want you to notice with me today. It's obvious based on Daniel's actions and his decisions that Daniel not only physically had been rescued, but Daniel spiritually had been rescued. He was a believer and a follower of God. And there are five evidences we see in Daniel's life that I think we need to see in our lives. So if you're with me, Daniel chapter 1. I want to begin reading in verse 8 and 10 to see this first evidence. Here it is. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to defile, not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs, or the guards, said to Daniel, I fear the Lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink for, uh, for why should you, he see that you were worse conditioned than the youths who were of your own age so you would be in danger of my head with the king. In other words, I, 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 Daniel, there's a problem here. I, I, I got you, Daniel. I'm with you, Daniel. But if you don't eat the king's food and you and you and other people do and and they look great and you look terrible, it's my head, not yours, Daniel. That's really what he's saying. Now, the one thing I want you to notice with me that we see about this this evidence in Daniel's life, this this first point is this is that Daniel had this determination to not compromise. Now, let me give you a little background. Some of you already know the background. When Babylon, the Babylonians went in to destroy the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom is gone, now just the southern kingdom. When they went in to destroy them, here was the order of the king. Take the smartest, the best looking, the most athletic, the best of the best of the best, bring them, kill everybody else. That's what they did. That was customary during war. And what they would do is they would bring the best of the best of the best, and they brought them to Babylon, and here's what the king would do. The king would try to entice them to eat their food, to drink their wine, to believe in their gods, and eventually the goal was, if we can indoctrinate them enough, they won't believe in the god they used to believe in, but now they'll be a hardcore Babylonian, and they'll believe in our gods, and on top of that, we benefit because, remember, they're the best of the best of the best. They're the smartest, the brightest, the sharpest, the best looking, the most athletic, the strong. I mean, these are the best and now they're Babylonians and that's what they would do. So apparently Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who you already probably know that story, were some of the best of the best of the best. So they bring Daniel in. And they said, all right, Daniel, here we go. We're gonna give you the king's food and the king's wine. And the Bible says that Daniel resolved where? In his heart or in his mind? His heart. Some translations I've read a while ago said he purposed in his heart. Daniel resolved, he purposed in his heart to not defile himself. He purposed in his heart, he was determined to not compromise. Now, here's what I mean. Daniel knew that if he ate the food and if he drank the wine of the Babylonians, he would have defiled himself, meaning he would have made himself dirty and unclean before the Lord. Now, here's why that is true. Because Daniel knew that the food that he was offered, which was, I'm sure, listen, you just left captivity. You were just bombarded, like in war. And you got beat. And now you're dragged all the way to Babylon, and they set you down, and they offer you a king's meal. Who's taking that meal, right? Because you had ramen noodles for the last 40 days, probably, right? And so now I've got a meal in front of me, like a Thanksgiving kind of feast. I mean, who's not going to take that? Daniel. Because Daniel knew the meat... And the food offered to him had already been offered and and used as a port of worship to a pagan god. And Daniel knew that the wine that they brought to him had already been taken according to Babylonian culture and they blessed it to their foreign god. And then it would bring it to Daniel. So Daniel knew that if I eat this meat and I drink this wine, literally what I'm telling these Babylonians that somehow I'm giving credibility to their false gods. And somehow I'm giving them this notion that somehow I can kind of go, well, I have a God, you have a God, and they're all kind of equal and the same. Daniel understood that if he took this, he would be dishonoring the Lord. Daniel understood that the indoctrination process, the Babylonians was to entice you, to overwhelm you, and then they have you. See, Daniel understood something. If he ate that food, if he drank that wine, he was letting all of Babylon know, hey, I'm okay with your God. And eventually they might even start sending rumors and messages that Daniel now worships the God of the Babylonians. Daniel knew if he did it, it would be dishonoring the Lord and Daniel's first commitment, guess where? Was to the Lord, right? And Daniel had in himself this determination not to compromise. He purposed in his heart. He made a decision. He drew a line in the sand and said, I will not. Now, question, what about us? Do we have that kind of conviction? Do we? See, here's what I believe. I believe every day we are bombarded with opportunities to compromise, right? Every day in the workplace, you're bombarded with opportunities to cheat. You're probably bombarded with opportunities to let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. You're bombarded with opportunities to gossip. You're bombarded with opportunities for lust, for greed, for anger. I mean, we are bombarded with opportunities to compromise our faith and our convictions that we should live like a follower of Jesus. Aren't you every day bombarded with those kind of opportunities? Yeah, you are. Here's the thing. When those opportunities arise, do we see them for what they're worth? Do we understand when opportunities to compromise come that we understand what's at stake if we give in? Do we understand if we give in to compromise, it hurts our relationship with Christ? Do we understand when we give in to compromise, it is dishonoring to the Lord? Do we see those situations and those opportunities when compromise comes for what they're worth? Or do we just go with our gut? Just go with the emotion of the moment and do what we want to do. Don't raise your hand, but don't you kind of already know the answer most of the time to which one we do? See, here's the thing. If the Holy Spirit is in you, if you're a believer, the Bible says that you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it means he lives inside of you. If the Holy Spirit really is inside of you, if you've been saved and rescued and the Holy Spirit is really inside of you, he will always push us and lead us to obey God's word, not compromise our convictions, always. He will always lead us down that path. And I know some of you are thinking, but Doug, you're right, I hear you. But sometimes I blow it. Anybody in the room not blown it? Right? I don't think Jesus is present physically today, right? I don't think he's physically here today. So what happens when I blow it? Because we all have moments of compromise. We all have moments where we give in and do things we shouldn't do. Well, here's the thing we talked about a couple weeks ago. We still have our responsibility in our role. That is repentance, God, I blew it here. God, I said some things I shouldn't have said. God, I thought some things I shouldn't have thought. God, I did some things I shouldn't have done. And God, I repent of that and I ask you to clean me up. See, here's what happens. When the Holy Spirit is inside of you, he will convict you of those moments when we compromise and he'll lead us to repent and to turn from those things. Now, here's a really tough thing I want you to hear. Some of you might even say this. Well, Doug, I claim to be a follower of Jesus, I know I've compromised, and I feel no conviction. I feel no remorse. I'd probably do it again. Then here's what I would say to you with a lot of love in my heart, based on Matthew chapter 7, the words of Jesus, then you've never had a relationship with Jesus. Because if the Holy Spirit is in you, you will feel conviction. If the Holy Spirit is in you, he will lead you to that point and convict you of what you've done. See, evidence that we belong to Christ is this undercurrent determination to not compromise. Let me give you another evidence we see in uh, his life. Look at me in, in chapter one. Let's go to verse 11. It says this in verse 11. <clears throat> then these men came by agreement and found Daniel, making petition and plea for his God. Then they came, oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. Let's go back to chapter one here, verse 11. Here we go. Yeah, that would have been bad there. Oh, here we go. Then Daniel, I'm getting there in a minute, but not yet. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and azariah That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Test your servants for 10 days. Give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our parents and our appearances of the youth who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter, love that, because I kind of fit that category, and fatter in flesh than all the youth who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine and their drink, and he gave them vegetables. Now listen, here's something we see in Daniel. Yes, we see this determination not to compromise, but we also see this unbelievable, extreme confidence in God. Guess what he does? He says, hey, listen, just test us for 10 days. Give us a 10-day window. Let us just have vegetables and water. And if we look puny when you come back, man, we'll go for the king's food at that point. But it says when they did that for 10 days, then when the guy came back, he found out that Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, they all basically looked better and fatter and, and better off than the ones who had eaten the king's food. Now, what would lead Daniel to do that? What would lead Daniel to go, hey, just give us 10 days? Was it confidence that he could chug a lot of vegetables down? No. It was his extreme confidence, listen to me, in God. He knew that if he did not compromise his faith, Daniel had confidence that God was gonna take care of him and be with him and provide for him. In fact, you know what happened? God did. We're not gonna read it, but later... Because of Daniel's loyalty and faithfulness and obedience, God actually gave him the ability to understand dreams and visions, which would be a big part of the rest of the book of Daniel, right? But here's what I love about Daniel. And I want you to notice this because we live in a world where Christians, sometimes we get on the wrong soapbox. And I want you to hear me this morning. Daniel objected, but he was not objectionable. Did you hear that? I want to say it again. Daniel objected to eating the king's food, but Daniel was not objectionable. And here's what I mean. Daniel said, I have a conviction that I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to eat the king's food. Would you please think this way? Would you please consider this? Daniel didn't throw a temper tantrum and throw a fit and turn over tables and scream and hoop and holler. I'm not going to eat. That was not how Daniel was. The same thing's true for us as Christians. Are we called to rebel against the evil of this world? Yes, now trick question, are we? Yes. Are we called to be a temper tantrum and be rebellious outwardly in our behavior and be pitiful and pathetic? Are we called to be rebellious? No. Now, some of us think rebelling means I can act out with my behavior, but we don't see that in Daniel. Daniel. Daniel was objected he objected to what happened why because he had this extreme confidence in God that God was going to do something that God was going to step in and that God was going to take care of him please answer this in your own heart do you have that kind of confidence do you have the kind of confidence that will say that I'm gonna stand up for my faith, I'm gonna stand up for my convictions that are based off of God's word, and I'm gonna stand up because I'm confident that God is gonna take care of me, that God is gonna be with me, and that God is gonna provide for me. Are you, do you have that kind of confidence? Here's a good test. If you have it, you probably see some of those moments in your life. If you don't have it, you won't see those moments in your life. See, if the Holy Spirit really is inside of us, he's going to nudge us and push us to have confidence, not in our abilities, but confidence in who God is. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that faith is being sure of things hoped for and certain things unseen. Let me give you a different way of defining that. Faith is being sure that God is who he said he is and and promises that he'll be all that he promised he would do. We're sure that God is who he said it is and we're confident that he's gonna do all that he's promised he would do. Do you have that kind of confidence See, evidence that Christ is in us, evidence that we've been saved, is yes, this desire to, to, to obey, not to compromise, but also a confidence in God. Not our own abilities, but God. Let me give you a third characteristic. Let's go to chapter 6, if you would. Chapter 6. So, date on them, don't eat the food. Time progresses. Daniel becomes in such high favor of the king, Daniel is made second in command of all of Babylon. Real quick trivia, was he a Babylonian? No, he was a foreigner. He was a Israelite that lived in Judah. They got destroyed. Daniel, Daniel, second command. So look what happens here in chapter six. These guys didn't like this. And chapter six, verse four says this. Then, The high officials, this is after Daniel got his promotion, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error fault was found in him. In other words, they were trying to find dirt on Daniel and here's the conclusion, they could find none, no dirt. I mean, Daniel, and this is kind of that third, that third evidence, Daniel had a testimony of character and integrity. Daniel had a testimony that when people saw him, what they saw was a person of character and a person of integrity. Now, here's a funny thing, is when you try to find dirt, do you go to their public life or to the private life? Not a trick question. Which one? Private. Because public, man, we can all put on a good show, can't we? Public man, we can put on that smile, we can say the right words, we can do the right stuff, but privately is a whole different category. And so they go to try to find dirt on Daniel, and they come back, and here's their conclusion. We can find nothing on him. They had no complaint against him. In other words, this dude is legit. This dude is the same guy privately as he is publicly. Daniel, there is no falsehood, no fakeness in Daniel. Daniel has no, no measurement, no no. Uh, kind of a, a breadcrumb of any hypocrisy in him. In fact, the, the NLT says this. When it says here that Daniel was faithful and that no error or fault was found in him, the translation NLT is that he was found faithful, responsible, and trustworthy. That's who Daniel was. Real quick question. Could people say that about us? Could people look at our public life and our private life and go, that is a person of character, and integrity. Now you're starting to sweat just a little bit, right? You're like, huh? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if people can't. We should know. Because listen, here's the deal. Many of us in the room will claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, but are we acting like followers of Jesus Christ? Now, and I've used this example before, but let's just be honest. Here in a minute, after I'm done, you're going to be a little bit hungry because you've worked up this appetite because you're so excited about the Lord, and you're going to go eat, and you're probably going to have terrible service today. And there's going to be a moment in you going, hey, I love Jesus, but I'm about to ream them out, or I'm going to leave them no tip. I mean, is that okay? Come on, is that okay? No! No! Because if I'm a follower of Jesus, I need to act like it not only in church on Sunday or my life group during the week, but when I go to Walmart, when I go to McDonald's, when I go eat, when I go pay my bills, I need to act like a follower of Jesus all the time. I need to have a testimony of character and integrity and can, like Dana, but can people say that about us? See, here's the thing. For years, my dad was out of church, for years. I mean, I don't remember the time my dad was in church until I moved back to Papa Bluff, and about 2007, Jesus changed my dad's life like I've never seen anybody's life change before, and my dad loved Jesus when he died. But there was a season, I, 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 mean, I remember preaching when I was younger, and my dad never came to church then either. You know why my dad stayed out of church? Hypocrites. People who claim to love Jesus on Sunday and live like the devil Monday through Saturday. Now, is that okay? Absolutely not. My dad finally kind of figured that out because one day, if that's, your, if that's your mentality or if you know somebody that feels that way, you just need to simply tell them this, that's fine, but one day they're gonna stand before Jesus and the only person they can give account to is their life, nobody else's. So they better figure it out now. But you know what it also tells me is that as believers, that people are watching us and if we claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and we live like the devil, people are taking notice of that. Right? So here's what you need here. This book is one of the best and is the greatest tool you have to lead people to Christ. But you know what the second greatest tool is? Your testimony, your life, and your actions. And when people look at you, do they want to run closer to Christ or walk farther away? See, if there's a Holy Spirit that really is inside of you, he will convict you of hypocrisy and lead you to be a person of integrity and character. See, evidence that we belong to him is what does our life look like? Are you with me this morning? You got that this morning? Let me give you a fourth one. Let's go to verse 10. Verse 10, here we go. It says this, chapter six, verse 10. <clears throat> verse, 10 through, uh, verse 10 through 13. When Daniel knew that the document, because here's what happened. They couldn't find anything wrong with him, so here's what they did. They said, hey, we gotta figure something out because this foreigner is second command and that's a problem. So he said, we're gonna have the king sign this document that said that, hey, if they worship any other god but him, then, then they're gonna be thrown to the lion's den. And, they, and they, they appealed to the king's pride and eventually, here's what happened, verse 10. It says, then when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, the king signed the document, he went into his house where he had windows in his upper room and chamber and he opened them toward Jerusalem and he got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God and he, at what he had previously done. Then these men came in agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came there and said before the king concerning this injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any God within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered, the things stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. In other words, yes, I did. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah? Pays no attention to your king or your injunction you have signed, but makes petition three times a day, ultimately to his God. Now think about this for a minute. Here is Daniel, second command, a guy of integrity, and he's this decree gets signed, and what does Daniel do? He goes and prays, right? He goes and prays. And when you read this part of the story, I mean, the, one of the evidences I see is that Daniel, even amidst uh, a difficult time, has a passionate pursuit of God. I mean, he's passionately going after God. I mean, think about it. If there was ever a moment that Daniel might have considered compromise, this might be the moment, right? Because this king has signed a decree, and if you're found praying to any god other than the king, guess where you're going. Now, trick question. Where are you going? I've been to Africa. Long time ago, I went to Africa on a mission trip, and we went through the, the Maasai safari there, or the, 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 the safari, and we saw a lion. And we saw a lot of lions, and we saw lions hunting. And then I got to see a cheetah hunt, which a whole different kind of deal. It was kind of cool. But I'm just gonna tell you, I was, I was so intimidated by the roar of lions. I mean, when they roar, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, and I know you're like, I've been to the zoo, well, I'm talking about, we were in what they called the bush. We were in the middle of nowhere, and when they roar, everything just puckered up. I mean, it was intense, it was intense. And I remember we're listening to those lions roar and your chest would just vibrate. And we got into like a herd of lions and there was like, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 of them. And they were after this little uh, uh, gazelle. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be out of this vehicle. Because if I get out, I'm a great piece of meat, right? So I got into the middle part of the vehicle and had two people on the outside going, okay, if something happens, at least I can shove lesser meat that direction, Right? Because there's something about it that goes, okay, nobody comes back from the lion's den, do they? Nobody. I mean, you get thrown in there, you're, you're all four courses of the meal for that guy. I mean, nobody. And so Daniel is in danger of his life being taken from him. And guess what he does? I mean, this is a guy that if he ever were a moment to compromise, it would be now, but he doesn't do it. If there's ever a moment for your confidence in God to waver, it'd be now, but it doesn't. If there's ever a moment that you might decide privately, do something a little different, because, you know, you're kind of, you're concerned, you would, but he doesn't. Instead, Daniel passionately pursues God. He gets on his knees and he prays. And he prays. Now, why would Daniel pray? You think it was a prayer of, oh, Lord. <laughs> I think Daniel just prayed and sought God's direction said, Lord, I'm gonna be faithful to you. In fact, did you notice there, it says that he opened the windows? Did you notice that? Now, some, some people would say, well, yeah, he was just being arrogant. No, 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 I think he was letting people know, I'm not ashamed of what I'm doing. I have a God that I love and I serve, and I am simply not ashamed of him. I'm gonna to continue to passionately pursue him. And here's the question I have for us. What about us? When life throws us curveballs, when things get difficult, do we find ourselves running hard to pray and seek God's direction? Do we find ourselves desperately pursuing him? Do we find ourselves running to God or running away from God? See, I believe this, that no matter what circumstance comes in your life, if the Holy Spirit is in you, he is always going to lead you to a deeper relationship with Jesus, always. Always. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know what? I believe if you're a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit's in you, there's something in you that's craving more of the Lord, more of his, you're thirsting and you're hungering for him. And you say, well, I'm not living for him. I'm not talking about that. You know, if you're not living for him and you're still a believer, I'm telling you that I think there's something in you that you know that there's something kind of missing. You know that there's that hunger and thirst and you're just not satisfying. It. You're trying to satisfy with the world instead of trying to satisfy with your relationship with Christ. But they're still there. And one of the evidences that we truly belong to him is that we passionately pursue God. Can you say that about you? That you're passionate in your pursuit of God? Can you? One last evidence I want to give you. It's found in verse 16 through 23. It says this. Then the king commanded Daniel to be brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually. do You notice that, look, I love words. Continually, what do you think that means? Non-stop. Nonstop. Why would the king say that? Why would he say that? Because since the time Daniel has shown up in Babylon, Daniel has continued to serve his God. Nothing has caused him to compromise. Nothing has caused him to waver in his confidence of God. Nothing's impacted his testimony. He is still passionately pursuing his God. And that king's going, something's different about Daniel. And may the God you're faithful to, may the God you're loyal to, may the God you have confidence in Daniel, may he protect you and deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den We've heard that before, haven't we? And the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lord's and nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. The king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the lion's den. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, the king declared, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually, there it is again, been able to deliver you from the lions. And it probably was about that quiet. And look what happens. Then Daniel said to the king, O oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the mouth of the lions and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and before you. O king, I've done no harm. The king was exceedingly glad and commanded Daniel to be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. He had trusted in his God. Here's the fifth evidence. A desire to trust God. Daniel trusted God, didn't he? Now, this is where, if there's ever a moment, I want you to take a little bit of notes and write a little bit down, it's right here because trust is faith in action. Trust is confidence in action. Here's what I mean. Daniel had confidence and Daniel had faith that God was in control, right? But Daniel also lived and acted like God was in control. His faith was put to action, and that's how we know we trust God. For example, I, I, I have confidence and I have faith that that stool can hold me, right? I have all the confidence in the world and all the faith in the world that that stool can hold me. But here's where trust comes in. I sit down, right? So now my confidence and my faith has shown up in my action, And see, Daniel had confidence and he had faith in God, but it shows up in action because he trusted the Lord. And so here's my question for you today. Do you really trust God? I'm not talking about you believe in him. Do you have faith in him? I'm talking about has your faith led to action and you trust him? For example, do you trust that God is working all things together for the good? Do you trust that he's fighting for you? Do you trust that he loves you and cares for you? Do you trust that if you're a follower of Jesus, that he has forgiven you? Do you trust that truth? I'm not asking you to believe it. I'm not asking you have faith in it. I'm asking you have confidence in it. I'm asking you, are you living like it? I'm living knowing that God is working all things together for the good. I'm living like God has forgiven me. I'm living like I am loved by God. Do you have trust and really trust God? Because the Holy Spirit will always lead us to live out our faith and action with our trust, right? And an evidence that Christ is in us is our trust for God. Now, I know that we go through these evidences and you're thinking, okay, I fit in some of those categories and some of those, I'm not sure I do, but here's what I want you to kind of grab a hold of. If the Holy Spirit, if you claim to be a Christian and the Holy Spirit is inside of you, please listen to this. He will always lead you down a path of obedience, not compromise. He will always lead you down a path of greater confidence in God, not greater confidence in your own abilities. He will always lead you down a path of a testimony that glorifies God and doesn't make much of myself. He will always lead us down a path of passionately pursuing a deeper relationship with the Lord, not relationship with the world. And he will always lead us down a path of putting our faith into action and trusting God, not trusting our circumstances. So here's my question for us today. Is there evidence in your life that you've been rescued? Is there evidence in your life that you truly are a child of God? of God. And some of you, let's be honest, some of you in the room today are going to simply just say this, there's not. I don't. I don't, I don't. What do I do, Doug? It's, it's simple. You surrender your life to Christ. You don't have to clean your life up, but what you do have to do is say, you know what, Lord, I know that I need you. I ask you to forgive me my sins and come into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. And you surrender your life to him. And when you do that, he will rescue you. And your eternity forever will be changed. And if you need to make that decision today, Please do that. Let me know as you leave today. Grab bread at the hub out there, but don't leave here today if you need to make that decision without making it. But many of you are believers in the room today. And you're okay, Doug, I see evidence in my life. I just wish I saw all five of those evidences in my life, right? I mean, I see some of those, but I wish I either saw all those in my life or I wish I saw more of those. Hey, listen, I think that's where we need to be as believers. Look, I look at these, and do I see those evidences in my life? Some days, sometimes not so much but the one thing that's stirring inside of me is I wanna see all those evidences more. I wanna see a greater desire not to compromise. I wanna see a greater desire to be confident in my God. I wanna see a greater desire to have a testimony that makes much of God that when people see me, they see a person of character, and integrity, not because I'm awesome, but because I serve an awesome God. I want people to look at me and I wanna be able to say that I have a greater desire to passionately pursue God and a greater desire to trust in God, not just believe he's gonna do it, but trust that he can do it. There's a difference. And if that's you today, and you're like me, here's what I'll ask us to do. Just confess that to the Lord. Just say, Lord, I'm struggling with this compromise thing. Would you give me strength? God, I'm struggling with this confidence thing. Would you give me strength? God, I'm struggling with this testimony thing. Would you just kind of give me some strength and give me direction? God, I'm struggling pursuing you. Would you give me insight? God, I'm struggling trusting you. Would you give me strength? Would you just confess that to the Lord today? I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. Everybody stand up if you would. Everybody stand up, every head bowed and every eye closed. And I'm going to pray for us. And today, right where you're at, if you need to trust Christ as your Savior, man, I, just, I pray that you'd make that decision. And then as you leave today, if you need to talk to somebody and pray, I would, love to talk, I would love to know what God has done in your life. Or if you're like me and you're a believer, and you go, I know I need those evidences, but I need more of those evidences in my life. I want more of that to shine through in my life. Would you just confess that? To, would you just be honest today? and confess that to the Lord and go, Lord, I'm struggling here. Would you give me strength? Father, I love you and I thank you for today. I thank you for the story of Daniel. I thank you that we've been able to see this thread of rescue that you've had all the way through the Old Testament and we've been able to see our role in that rescue of repentance and we've seen that that rescue is simple. We don't have to complicate it. It's just faith in Jesus putting our faith and trust in him. Then our name gets written in the Lamb's book of life and our eternity is secure. I thank you for that, Lord. But I thank you today that we're able to come to a guy named Daniel and look and say, this guy demonstrated some evidences that he was rescued, that he was saved, that he was a follower of you, God. But I pray that we'd ask that question. Can I find those evidences in my life? Evidences where I'm gonna stand for my conviction. Evidence is where I put my confidence in you. Evidence is that I want to be a person of character and integrity. Evidence is that I want to passionately pursue you and grow my walk with you. And evidence that I have truly trusted you with my life. And God, if there's believers in the room that find one of those they struggle with, may we just confess that to you today. May we just cry that out to you today. And as we sing about how much we love you and how much we adore you, May we confess that and may you do a work in our heart and our lives today. For it's your precious and your glorious son's name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together. Jesus, we love.